0: or your problems or your suffering you've got a crushing migraine and you share that with someone and they say, "Well, you know, we all get headaches now and again. I just usually take a Tylenol and carry on with my life." And you think to yourself, "I know what Job felt like when he said miserable comforters." It's not nice. It's kind of frustrating when people minimize real pain, real problems. Is that what's happening in our text? Paul is talking about light, momentary affliction. And we may think to ourselves, Paul, what are you talking about? I've lost a child. I've lost a parent. I've lost a sibling. I've lost my spouse. I'm in constant pain. I have a body ravaged by disease. My marriage is breaking down. My family's falling apart. I've been knocked down time and time again in the battle against sin and temptation. I've lost my job. I have a job which is unbearable. I'm dealing constantly with with the, the painful fallout of abuse and injustice in my life. People make fun of me for doing the right thing. I'm struggling with depression, with mental illness. I can hardly, I can barely hold myself together. What are you talking about when you say light, momentary affliction? Brothers and sisters, as we read these words from the Holy Spirit through the mouth of Paul, we need to understand number of things about what he's seeing. Number one, Paul is speaking about his own confession in the light of his own experience. He's speaking about his problems. He's calling his problems light, and his problems momentary. He's not telling, he's showing. And as Paul reflects on the reaction to his own affliction, we have much to learn from how he deals with it, from how he looks at it. What is this affliction that Paul suffered that he is calling light and momentary? Well, flip back with me to chapter 1 of this letter, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. This is what he says. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened. That word utterly is the same word that we have in our text. Beyond comparison, the word in the Greek is hyperbole, off the charts. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And look at our chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at, look at verse 8. We read it. We're afflicted in every way. We're, we're perplexed. We're persecuted. We're struck down. We're carrying the, in our body the death of Jesus. We're always being given over to death. Our outer self is wasting away. Whole new affliction want to get an idea of the afflictions he knew let's turn forward to chapter 11 of this same letter chapter 11 verse 23 second corinthians 11 23 and just have, take a quick look scan down 23 to 28 he says look i have had far greater labors, far more imprisonments, far more beatings and often near death than many other workers of the gospel. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from rubbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure and apart from other things there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches quite a list it's quite a life and as if that's not enough we turn to chapter 12 of our letter, verse 7 where Paul says there's one more thing 12 or 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. What does God say to him when he asks God to take it away? God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. What does Paul say? Verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul, when he says the words of our text, is not sitting in a comfortable chair with perfect health and perfect freedom and perfect luxury, wagging his finger at other people and saying, oh, it's nothing. Paul knows suffering inside and out. But what does Paul do with suffering? You see, the affliction that afflicts Paul, he dedicates it to Christ. Paul doesn't focus on himself, doesn't focus on his ill health, doesn't focus on his sufferings as unwelcome intruders which are spoiling his quest for a comfortable, perfect, pleasant Instagram experience on this earth. But rather, Paul embraces suffering and affliction as an inevitable and integral part of the Christian life. What does he say to the churches he planted? It is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. And so Paul embraces it he dedicates his suffering as an act of joyful worship for the greater glory of the lord jesus christ and because paul has that jesus looking perspective because paul has that eternal focus perspective that's why paul can say and you read the list that's why paul can say in his life of bitter suffering which was more than he could handle Paul could say by the power of the Holy Spirit this light momentary affliction because he put it in eternal perspective. It is preparing for us, says he, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, Paul's talking about return on investment here for you business people. What are you getting out of it? The investment to follow Christ is to deny yourself and take up your cross and walk in the way of the cross. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer, will be persecuted, says the scripture. But what's the return on investment for every hour of suffering? There is an eternity of glory. That's the economy of the kingdom. And that's hard for us to conceive and to conceptualize. If you speak to a little two-year-old and say, listen, if you give me your Sunday candy every week, don't eat it, give it to me. And you do that for five years, then I'll give you a candy store. I think most little two-year-olds say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Give me my candy. I want to eat it right now. They don't have the capability to put into their minds to, do, to do compare the value of this kind of a sacrifice. And that's a little bit what we're like when it comes to eternal glory. We can't conceptualize it. It doesn't fit in our heads. And so when Paul talks about it in our text, he speaks in such, a, such a, an overwhelming way that the translators can't even translate what he's saying. Because twice he uses the Greek word hyperbole, which we kind of weakly translate here as beyond all comparison. And what Paul is saying is this. He's saying this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, which is from all surpassing hyperbole to all surpassing hyperbole and that doesn't sound normal does it in english which is why they didn't translate it that way but that's what he's saying now for those of you who haven't had grade 12 english yet hyperbole in english is an exaggerated statement not to be taken literally so i could say for instance i'm so thirsty i could drink an ocean well, obviously, I can't drink an ocean, that's hyperbole, it's a, it's exaggeration to make my point. But in the Greek it's not exaggeration that's in view. The word that Paul's using means beyond all comparison, over the top, off the charts, mind blowing. And glory, the eternal weight of glory, is so mind blowing that he has to double up on this word the eternal weight of glory is not just mind-blowingly awesome it is mind-blowingly awesome multiplied by mind-blowingly awesome i'm sorry but it it exceeds the limits of of speech to be able to describe it just think of every happy moment you've ever had in your life every moment of pure joy every moment when you felt so close to god every moment when you just felt such deep love for your spouse for your children for your parents for your family for your friends every moment of delight and the best tastes and the best experience and the most delightful feelings that you could ever imagine and distill all of that into one delicious Moment, all of the glorious joys which God still gives us in this life, distill it into one glorious moment and then hold it there and have that moment multiplied by a billion and then multiplied again by a billion and then held forever and ever and ever and ever. That's maybe a beginning, a weak, pathetic beginning to describing the eternal weight of glory. Now Paul says, the more I get afflicted, the more the eternal weight of glory is being prepared, is pressing in onto my life. Now, let me use an example to try and communicate the connection between the two here. Think of a Christmas present Maybe some of you still have the tree up. I don't know. Think of the Christmas presents under the tree. And imagine a box under that tree. And you've managed to capture, to take all of the powerful light of the noonday sun. Not the heat. Just the light. And you've managed to wrap it up in that box. All of the light of that nearest star is packaged in that box under the tree. What would that box look like? Well, it would be just, it would just be radiating. I mean, you'd have to have some pretty thick paper and it would still glow right through. What can possibly keep that kind of intense and glorious light wrapped up? It's gonna glow blindingly through the box and the wrapping paper. It's gonna shoot powerful rays out through every little crack and crevice in the wrapping and now let's imagine unwrapping this box. Now, how do you unwrap? Some people are very careful unwrappers. They, they peel the tape off and put it aside to use next year and the paper as well. But the more childlike amongst us, we, we rip and we, we tear. And, and if it's a hard box to open, we pull out the scissors and maybe a knife. And we, we gouge and we cut and we destroy that wrapping to get to the present inside. And you can imagine... As that package full of the light and the glory of the sun is unwrapped, the the light pours out with every rip and and every tear and with every opening which is gouged with a knife. The more ripping and the more tearing, the more glory. And that is the picture of affliction in the Christian life. You remember what God said to, to Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Verse 10, he said, my power is made perfect in weakness. That is the dynamic of the Christian life. Power welling up out of weakness. Glory shining through affliction. And you see it. As we read chapter 4, you saw that the, the more that Paul suffered, the more that he saw the glory and the grace of God in Christ, the more that he was given over to death, the more the life of Jesus is manifested. And it's all summed up in verse 16, isn't it? He says, we don't lose heart. You know what? the more we get ripped and torn, the more our outer self is wasting away, the more the inner self is being renewed. So what does the Christian say to suffering? The Christian says this, do your worst. Bring it on. Do your worst. Because every cut, every thrust to hurt us just makes more grace and glory shine forth. And if you remember the first verses of chapter 5 that we read Paul comes even to the conclusion that even if the body itself is destroyed, we still win. We're still more than conquerors because then we move on towards the next step, which is the resurrected body clothed with glory. See, that's why Christians have a different relationship with suffering. When the disciples were beaten by the Sanhedrin, what did they do? They rejoiced. They rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name. That's why when Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 1, this is what he says to them. It has been granted to you not only to believe, that's the gift of God, but it has also been granted to you, he says, to suffer for his Sake. Paul writes to the church and says, you know what, you've got a real privilege here. You you didn't just get the gift of faith, but you have the privilege, the honor of suffering for the name. Christians have a very different relationship with suffering. Now, what happens when you rip apart a package which is dark and empty? What happens? Nothing. You just get a mess of broken wrappings. That's what affliction is for the ungodly. The afflictions of the ungodly are foretastes of darkness, the darkness and the emptiness that is their eternal lot. The glorious promise of our text is for Christians. It is for people who can say, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For Christians, for believers, every cut, every wound, every pain of suffering makes it all the more gloriously clear that it is Christ. It is Christ alone. It is He who is my all. He who is my life. He who is my meaning. He who is my hope. It is Christ who is my joy and my glory. And the glory here is not just for the future. It's not as though the Scripture says, well, <clears throat> this is where the affliction happens, and then when Jesus comes back, then's the glory. No, the glory, it breaks in powerfully into our current situation. The future glory blazes. It radiates out of every heart full of faith. Faith. It radiates from every upturned face of every believer who says in affliction, this is hard, Lord. But whatever I suffer, I I dedicate it to you, Lord. Lord, let your glory shine through me when I'm mocked because of my faith, when I'm persecuted for the sake of the name. Oh, Lord God. When I'm hard-pressed, when I'm overwhelmed by pain and suffering, when I'm suffering through my medical treatments, when I'm on my sickbed, when I'm on my deathbed, O oh Lord, I will not resist, but I will rejoice. O oh Lord, I will, as the Apostle Paul says to the Romans in chapter 5, I will rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that means I will rejoice in my sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's the power behind the words that Paul is saying in our text. That's the source of this kind of faith, this kind of strength, this kind of courage, this kind of hope and joy the source is not us it is christ in us it is the love of god poured into our hearts it is the inexhaustible niagara falls of grace and glory which god is just pouring and pouring and pouring into our hearts and lives through the means of grace the grace and the glory that he is pouring into us today again through the preaching of the word, as we hear the word proclaimed, as we eat his body, and as we drink his blood. You know, the ungodly, the unbelieving, they spend all their time trying to keep their life perfectly wrapped. An impressive looking package. Every time there's a little tear which reveals the darkness inside, they put a little bit of scotch tape on the rips. They've got to keep it all together. They've got to make it look like something. But the believer says, bring it on, Lord. Bring it on because this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so we pray in our affliction, O oh, Lord Jesus. By your Holy Spirit, help me not to look to and to hold on to the things that are seen, the transient things. But, oh, Holy Spirit, by your power, let me fix my eyes on the things that are unseen, the eternal things, the things that are worth something, the things that are part of the eternal weight of glory. And as we pray that, The Lord Jesus says to us, yes, my dear child, that's the way to live. That's the way to be. Walk in that way. And here at the table, here is sustenance for the journey. Take, eat, remember, and believe. Amen.